Hello, I'm Sue Bose, and this is the Net Hero Podcast. Thank you so much for supporting us over the years. And if you've not come across our channel before, let me tell you what we do. The Net Hero Podcast is part of futurenetzero.com, a platform which believes that better business makes a better planet. We're all about people doing things that enable the planet to become more sustainable. That means reducing emissions, that means creating new things and products that we can all live and survive with, because at the end of the day, we can't hold back our development. We want a better planet, and I believe that business is the way for us to get that, by providing us products and services that have a lower carbon profile. And they're the kind of stories that we will be promoting on this channel. If you've seen and listened to our podcast before, you'll know that we've talked to scientists, academics, business people, but we're happy to talk to anyone who's trying to do their bit to make things different. And now, on to this week's episode. It's getting hot out there. Well, it's not really. It's freezing. But heat, it's that thing. People say, oh, it's the Cinderella service, a part of the energy mix. It's the thing we need the most particularly when we have our harsh winters that we're probably expecting this year. And of course, it's one of the most basic parts of the whole equation of net zero. How do we decarbonize heat? Over the last decade, maybe more so, we've tried to decarbonize our power sector. You know, we can see what's going on from electric vehicles. You can see wind turbines. You can see solar panels. But you've probably got a gas boiler at home or in your office right now. Very few heat pumps are out there. And when it comes to heat, it's been one of those things that, is it too difficult to do? It's never had that push, either from industry or dare I say, from politicians. So how do we deal with it? Because it's going to be one of the biggest factors. And when I mean heat, it also means cooling in other countries. Look what's going on right now with the global rise in temperatures in other areas of the world, the heat, is actually the cooling. That's still AC, that's still power. There's a lot to be done. That's what I'm going to discuss today with Professor David Glue from Leeds Beckett University, who actually works for the Leeds Sustainability Institute. David, hello, welcome. Hi there, thanks for having me. What is the Sustainability Institute? Can you explain it? Is it just a research uh, part and how long has it been going? Yes, it's a, a research-only institute within the university. So at the, in the School of the Built Environment, Engineering and Computing. And what we do is we're a, we're a research group specifically looking at um, three areas. So we've got three research topics on sustainability, sustainable behaviour, right. choices we make, you know, why we might buy a heat pump, for instance. And then our next research theme is sustainable buildings. So we do a lot of testing of buildings and energy efficiency. That does stuff work. We go and actually apply our science out there in the real world. And then the final research theme is sustainable urban environments. So we've got sensors of networks, uh, networks of sensors, sorry, all across Leeds, where we're yep. based. We can measure the heat, urban heat island effect. We can look at the impact of kind of air pollution on, on commuter routes and stuff like that. So those are our three areas. And yeah, I think heat is very important for certainly for all of those, certainly for buildings and the decisions that we're making. When it comes to the work you do, um, obviously, 
we're we're at this intersection with net zero where science, politics, economics, they all go together. And a lot of people say, you know, there's, there's the science to do it and the reasons to do it. And then there's the business case. Are you doing your research purely academically or do you work, for example, with governments or corporate companies in, in the way that you do your research, looking for solutions that are for market? Good questions. We're definitely applied scientists. So most of our right. research at the moment comes from answering government's questions. So they will set out a call and say things like, um, you know, how do we retrofit solid walled homes safely and effectively? They will scope out their, their kind of their questions and then we're able to respond to those. It actually also, because we're out there in the community doing tests on real world homes, uh, not just sort of sat there. Yeah, in a lab or yeah, creating yeah. Yeah, we can we can get out there and it means that we're interacting with social landlords. So we're actually they are our case studies. So they get their buildings sort of retrofitted as part of some of the projects that we do. We like to work with them and share the knowledge that we get because they're the ones out there trying to deliver, you know, net zero in homes or Yeah. And do you work with businesses as well directly as or or is that kind of still yeah, yeah, away. for sure. So quite a different variety of businesses. So you, you can imagine, um, okay, manufacturers who are producing innovations, right. so you know, um, energy efficiency stuff, different types of insulation or products, um, heat pumps, that sort of thing, want to know how their products are performing in the real world. Uh, we can okay. go and do that sort of thing, as well as finance providers wanting to understand how they can develop green products, green finance products that people might actually want to go and buy. Yes, yeah, so you've got that mix of kind of what, what is needed from the public driver of legislation and then you've got the actual delivery and the costing which I, I like let's just talk about what I said right at the beginning and I and I, I did say yeah, tongue-in-cheek the whole thing but it is one of those things he you know we I've been in this industry covering stories on energy for 13 years it's never really been a priority now I don't know whether you think that's a fair statement but I kind of seen loads on let's decarbonize power, let's get out there, you know, big infrastructure, the rise of solar, as I said, the rise of uh, offshore wind, nuclear, whatever, you know, delivering those big things and helping us to decarbonize massively, without doubt. But have you seen, I don't know how long you've been in this sort of particular area of looking at heat, but have you always seen it as something that's not had as much attention? Definitely. I think uh, it's just hard. I mean, when you when you get down to it, yeah, the easy wins, the low hanging fruit, for sure. Of course, that's how we operate at all levels of government, and business, and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, we can perhaps get into why it's so blooming difficult, specifically to decarbonise heat. You know, you look at climate change commissions projections on all the different sectors. You know, for the lots of reasons, they're all making great progress, yeah. except for. Except buildings yeah, and buildings, heat, you yeah. know, heating buildings is mm. the thing that's just really been difficult to manage. Is that because, <laughs> I, I don't know, I'm not going very philosophical on this, but it's kind of quite visceral, right? Like a barbecue, <laughs> you know, everyone loves to go around the fire of a barbecue. We've had heat as a flame since, you know, we first sort of got, got into caves and started doing things. There's a very different relationship with heat and it precedes electricity, precedes everything. It, do you think that's what it is? And we've built homes, particularly in this country, with fire as the main form of heating, you know, through chimneys and all of that and has slightly changed. And, but we still have gas coming in, still burning something. Most of us still like to cook on gas because of that. We have a real <laughs> attraction to the flame. It, I, I don't know if that's kind of like loose kind of sort of geek talk, but th there's something about that, I think. Possibly, or 
I, I actually think it's invisible for people now. How we do you mean? Have, we just have heat. We have these mm. boilers in cupboards. We don't actually, <laughs> yes, love, true, we actually don't yeah. have a physical connection anymore. Maybe if we did have more of a connection, we would care more. Um, but you know, our, our heating is just set up. Yeah, it just turns on. Yeah. We only noticed it really when it boiled. Broken, breaks. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so I think one of the reasons that's possibly one of the reasons why we are, well, we we do we do we've got a term for this called energy literacy. You know, one of our right. one of the things that we can really see in the research that we do is energy literacy levels are really quite low. You know, for very good reasons. I mean, it's not not really part of the national no. curriculum. No. So why would we? You know, and, and the way in which we pay for our heat is so remote from our use of it it's not like any other transaction we make you know go to a shop you buy something you physically get it there mm. not only do we not do that with heat every time we turn the radiator on we don't pay anything we don't even pay at the end of the month the amount that we used because it's spread to kind of ease the burden on 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 people's winter spend because it's all ranked up on you know very heavily weighted our, our usage yes in the winter months when you know we'd be short of money so I actually think the lack of connection, maybe we've lost something there. Mm. Uh, and that's possibly one of the reasons, the contributors to why it hasn't been part of the psyche. It's much more visible now, though. Gosh, you know, we would be uh, we would be talking to people about what we do. And it would be a very quick conversation. They'd move on now. <laughs> people are really interested you're, you're saying you're more popular now david is that what's happening i can walk into a room and people no longer <laughs> abandon no it's the heat bloke run away oh my goodness it's it's turned the other way yeah they won't let you go until you've told them whether or not to buy a heat pump <laughs> we'll, we'll get onto that in a second let's just inform the the viewers and listeners as a percentage how much of our carbon emissions are down to heat for the uk Okay, yeah, you, you put me on the spot. So buildings, kind of, I think something around up to 40% is changing all the time, and it depends. If I always had it down as sort of 35-40% was the, the ballpark. I don't know if that's still the case. Yeah, and, and it kind of depends on um, if you include embodied energy and what, because, you know, there's all of that, and then power production itself. So there's the ways in which you slice the cake. But then the actual heat in buildings is obviously then a proportion of that, so that's less. Um, I, I, I should really have these numbers at the top of my tongue, but I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that's the sort of numbers of which you probably are likely to see floated around. Yeah. The complications again is: are you talking about carbon, or are you talking about en primary energy, or are you talking about end-use energy? And that's the thing, isn't it? Because you can see transport. You know, people say it's about twenty percent, and we can, you can understand yeah. transport. You know, it's diesel, it's petrol, all of that. But our heat is it can be electrical. It can be gas, as I said, it can be coal, it can be oil, all of these things. And then there's a specific carbon element to each of those that's different as well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And, and if you really get into detail, it changes hour by hour based yeah. on what the National Grid's doing for sure. So it's significant. What, what's really interesting for us, and I think potentially the focus of this, this chat, is the big chunk of heat, 85% of us, we use gas to heat our homes. Yeah. And that that's a big challenge. Yeah, we, we call that, well, one of the reasons it's a challenge is for this thing we call peak heat. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, so peak heat, you've got, um, you've got a certain demand when everyone, you know, say February the 6th, nine o'clock in the morning, 20 million boilers kick in. Um, of course. And that is a huge draw. Now, gas is kind of 
the reason we've kind of adapted this energy system is because gas can just sit there we used to see it on the you know big gas kind of storage yeah the cylinders yeah absolutely you know that it's just full of gas ready for that use in the morning and in the evening when we all kick on our boilers can't do that with electricity can't just have a massive store of electricity exactly So, so, so this is the peak heat challenge so the amount of heat you're using the amount of energy you're using is one thing and you can kind of overcome that and that's been the beauty of gas isn't it? And yeah, well, exactly. You can just turn the tap because it's been reactive, and which is why it grew. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's well, it's allowed us to grow in a particular way, dependent upon it. And so the amount of energy you use in a home, it's no good comparing that to the amount of renewable energy you can produce over a day. You need a certain amount at a certain time, and and it's a big spike. You know, so one of my favourite slides I'll show people when I'm giving a talk is I'll plot the UK's electricity consumption yeah. over a year. So from summer to summer, kind of it just bumps up a little bit in the middle. It's really quite flat. And then, I'll, you know, you click the slide, it's the big reveal, and you, you then plot the gas use in UK homes mm. over the same time period. And it just looks like Mount Everest. Yeah. You know, yeah. from I'm from Yorkshire, so it's like Mount Everest compared to the Yorkshire Moor. <laughs> you know, and so it doesn't matter that we can produce a lot of renewable energy. We need to produce it at the time that we need it during that peak period. And this is the crux of it, isn't it? Which is that the renewable energy or whatever we get or whatever form of electricity needs to be stored to, to be used. Gas, it, as you say, it's it's the, the reactive element. Yeah. The government is unsure i think and i don't think whoever gets in in the next year is sure how to deal with this i don't think industry is sure how to do this because it is the bridging fuel many people say it's still the bridging fuel it's better than coal yeah it's not as good as having green power obviously but it is the bridging fuel but there are talks about do we continue with gas because it is very easy to get out there it is quite democratizing because it can go everywhere whereas you can't stick a heat pump well, maybe you can convince me on a on a 14-story tower block in the middle of Dagenham. But the big thing is, is hydrogen the answer? Before we talk about retrofits and efficiency, which I want to cover, this thing about gas that you've mentioned, yeah, it, is that one of the things, when you look at your research, can hydrogen play a role that we start to increase the level of hydrogen, particularly if we can get to the panacea, you know, the, the holy land of green hydrogen? And, and start yeah. to use that. So we st- still keep the systems, but they're not emitting as much carbon. It's a good question. And it's a pertinent question, you know, and, and for right or wrong, there is a bit of a mini war going on yeah. between proponents of heat pumps and proponents of hydrogen, which isn't always helpful. So as an academic, it's nice to be able to... I think you need both in my view. <laughs> yeah, well, I, well, I think in reality, that's that's something a bit closer to the truth. So the thing with hydrogen, if there's a thing, is on the on the face of it, it solves a lot of these issues around peak heat. Yeah. You know, just switch your source. Switch your source. Just start yeah. pumping hydrogen. And there's not a lot of argument about that. Problem is, how do you make it? Yes. Where's your hydrogen coming from? Yeah. And, you know, it's the same problem with heat pumps. You have to change everybody's appliances. Okay. But let's say that's surmountable um, and you can do that because you'd have to change them over to heat pumps anyway. Yeah, this where does it come from is the biggie. Now, it can come from carbon capture and storage. That's there's some questions about that. Um, how much you can make, you know, there's yep. the peak issue again. Can you make enough to just sit there and then when everyone's heating comes on at February in the morning, 
it'll be enough. It's un unknown because of the amount of infrastructure that would be required to create that. And is carbon capture, you know, which we call blue hydrogen, yeah. you know, is that okay? You know, then that's a debate in itself. The real kind of challenge is the green hydrogen, you know, uh, using electricity to produce it, which, you know, wouldn't that be wonderful? Big, big old storage of green hydrogen that can just switch over your gas to your hydrogen would be wonderful. But it's going to take three times more electricity on the face of it to make the green hydrogen than it would be to just power the heat pumps. But then you, with the heat pumps, you've got the power of the, the peak uh, heat problem yes it's a real conundrum isn't it this, it, the, it the... really really is there's no easy answer <laughs> all combinations and where do you and when you've got finite resources this is why people get a bit yes. warring yeah. you know because they're actually all probably deep down agree we need multiple solutions but when there's only you know a billion pounds of research allowed because that's all the money we've got you want it all for yours uh, you know and, and and what's going to be the greatest solution now we have the luxury in academia of not having to choose. We just go and find out the, the, the strengths and weaknesses of all of the different solutions. Um, but I, I have a lot of sympathy for both sides. In terms of suggesting whether or not the government know what, what they prefer, I think there's a realism around the fact that heat pumps can be rolled out without huge amounts of infrastructure to a point. And that point is the, point, the, point, which peak, and, and the point yeah. is which peak heat suddenly then kicks in and you yeah. can literally not provide the power. I mean, we've we've spoken to National Gas and we've spoken to people from the hydrogen and we've spoken to, you know, people who are just pure, the, the future is electrical heat. Mm. My personal view is it is a mix. But on the point about one of the things that's always said, and I don't know whether you've looked at it on the social side of things, there is an element here of, you know, the retrofitting, uh, if we go down the heat pump route, is expensive. Heat pumps have a cost, heat pumps have noise, all of those things. We'll park that for a second. But the pipe work is already there. And as you say, just switch the source. Do you look at it and think about the, the, the argument for gas being that it's quite a democratizing fuel because it's out there and it allows people of all abilities to, to use it, whereas heat pumps involve knocking down your wall, putting something in, sticking in, which A, not everyone can do, and B has a cost, so the material cost, because what you're doing with with a hydrogen or a cleaner gas, whatever we call it, some form of clean gas, is all you're doing is using the existing infrastructure. Do you do you buy that argument about that's kind of the reason that there is this dilly dallying because you can see there'll be social injustice. So we're really we're boiling it down to I think oh I I think it's worth boiling it down to. Um, democratizing it is really just cost right i think so if yeah. if there's a world in which a heat pump costs exactly the same as a gas boiler and a unit of electricity costs exactly the same as a unit of gas you know then then there you go your technology agnostic you're going to follow where the where the money can can achieve can we get to that world i don't know certainly heat pump installation costs can become incredibly cheaper than they currently are. There's a lot of reasons why that is the case, a lot of supply chain issues and you know, installation issues and just supply and demand. Can electricity become cheaper than gas is a much more interesting question for yeah, of kind course. Of democracy. So the surcharge on top of our electricity bill is 25%. So that goes to something called the energy company obligation. So energy companies take a cream off the top because they know that we need to help people in fuel poverty and 
using gas and electricity is is bad for the environment so it's kind of a market externality that they're, they're trying to fix there so it's only 2.5 percent on top of gas but it's 25 percent on top of uh, electricity that it's changing if they shouldn't because electricity used to be the baddie right that was the that was the, of the coal the coal yeah. days so in an idealistic world you might be like, oh we'll just switch them put whack it on gas now and, and we'll kind of have a much cheaper electricity of course we've got the incumbent system of 85 percent of us use gas a yeah. lot of them if you suddenly increase the cost of gas relative to the price of electricity absolutely to encourage people to move and switch to a cleaner source you're going to plunge millions of homes into fuel poverty so that's the reality that politicians going to face well and, and we all would face and i don't think we would want that simple switch over to happen so we've probably talked around the houses just to simply say isn't it hard isn't it you know back comes back around to how hard it is yeah, so I suppose there's there's a high it's a hybrid way a solution, isn't it? Really, you're going to have to do. And as you said right earlier on, you said the trouble is we've entered a world where it is quite warring, which doesn't help anyone. You know, it's this technology or not. Let's uh, move on to the other part of what you do. And I know that you've had funding from uh, Desnes. I do love that uh, Department for uh, Energy Security Net Zero. Um, and you've looked at retrofitting. And this is another one that's one of the big things. We had the government scheme about a year ago or so, more of that, about, you know, try and get your house insulated, overscribed, didn't work out, failed. So many different schemes have not worked in terms of that. You talk about ego and there are people trying to give away, you know, insulation for housing. Energy companies can say, hey, you, you qualify because yeah. you're, you're, you're poor and people don't want to do it. We have one of the worst housing stocks in terms of leakiness. For, for energy in the whole of Europe. What are we doing wrong? Why is retrofit not working? Because if you build something and you can save that energy, then that really helps us all the way down the line because we're not using as much. So the cost can be a bit higher, but you're tolerating it because you're using less. Why have we not got retrofit right? Yeah, I can talk all day on this. It's, this is, uh, yeah, You've got this about is seven minutes. <laughs> That's fine. We can condense it. So let's let's think about that Mount Everest again. Yeah. So why do we need it? You know, well, that'll slice our Mount Everest in half almost. You know, so this peak heap challenge is actually why we need retrofit. You know, people talk about, oh, you've got to heat, you've got to insulate home to make people warm yeah. and comfortable. Yes, you do. You know, insulate homes make people out of fuel poverty. Yes. Yes. It'll make a, maybe make a heat pump work more efficiently. Yeah, maybe. But the real reason we need to insulate the nation is peak heat. Because we, if we are going to electrify, we literally cannot do it until we reduce heat demand, until we slice that Mount Everest down. Okay, so it's there in the background as this kind of thing on our shoulder that has to happen as a nation. As an individual, we have a different hat on. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, this is a big research project that we've done is um, looking at house by house, um, solid walled homes, what works and how can you make it less risky um, from a kind of physics point of view, from a moisture point of view, and um, how much does it cost? Uh, and that, that's sort of the research project scope, if you like, um, which hopefully will be published in the next couple of months. Um, so you can see that. How many homes have you been trialing and, and looking yeah. at? So the project was we did about 41 retrofits, but we did them in only 14 homes. Right. Now, the reason okay. we did that um, was we wanted to, one of the problems with with applied science in homes uh, on real projects is tons of stuff happens. So you might get new windows, you might get your loft insulated, you might do some draft privy. Well, which bit made the most benefit? Of course, yeah. And so what we did, um, we did it all separately. 
Okay, so house one gets just the window, house B... Well, almost, yeah, but house one gets a journey. All the houses get a separate retrofit journey. So we we try to do... We try to mimic what's happened in a UK home over the last 30, 40 years. So first thing we would do is do the loft insulation. Because yeah, we've all done that. This mm. you know the, this this low hanging fruit. Mm. What did that? What happened? Did it work? Was it effective? Okay. Ne- next thing, um, draft proofing. Mm. Yeah. You know, how much benefit are you going to get from that individual measure? Next windows, next ground floor insulation, and then final one, solid wall insulation. So we kind of like ramp it up. That gives us kind of a profile of how much benefit each of these different things giving us, um, and allows us to explore what happens if you do these things in isolation. Can you tell us the winner? Uh, well, I think it's very obvious. I think this is a lot of science is about proving the obvious, but of course, solid wall insulation by far was the only thing which you you know if you were if you were really serious about getting homes to an EPC of a C, yeah, whatever we you know I could talk about an hour on EPCs, but let's just assume that we know what they are. Yeah, or if you wanted to get yourself to any of the kind of heat loss per meter squared standards that lots of places have lots of policies have if you want to reduce internal uh, internal service conversation risks in homes solid wall insulation is the most important thing to do to help people in fuel poverty the problem is it's most expensive of course most difficult i mean are you talking about injecting foam are you putting there's the new stuff the external cladding that goes on which is yeah, yeah so there's solid internal walls. there's so many yeah, different types so so yeah wall insulation bit i mean partly that's and also the site the shape of your home obviously makes it a big course, difference yeah. so you know, if you're a flat that you don't have much external area then no. of course it's not going to be beneficial for you and we call that the penguin effect actually yeah. you know if you've got homes next door to I'm you, sitting next to each other yeah, behind of course, yeah. you above you by the yep. size of you, you're actually doing okay you if you were one of those homes that's in the middle mm. you might be in a whole epc band better than the home on the end of course because they're exposed to the weather they've yeah, got more heat absolutely. loss they've got a bigger yeah. area yeah so there's three types of walls wall insulation cavity walls which we didn't look at in this project because it's kind of a little bit more done it's cheaper, simpler, quicker, uh, and, and it's one of those low-hanging fruit. You know, there are still homes that haven't had it done, um, but mostly that's kind of been covered by yeah. other research and other policies. Solid walls are the biggie because they're the ones that you're more likely, people in fuel poverty are more likely to live in solid walls. Solid-walled homes tend to be a bit older. Solid-walled homes have more moisture problems you know it or they need to breathe as well obviously well well the problem is they were built to breathe and then we Mm. messed around with them and so we get these (laughs) interactions of old and new we do yes um, new technology on so we get gypsum non-breathable plaster to repair walls that were you previously had lime plaster on so you're kind of they've been messed around with is the simplest way to say it um and so that was the focus now you can put insulation in the inside or on the outside of a solid walled home and people always ask what's the best which one should we do yes which is the most effective so there isn't really an answer from the physics point of view it's the same because it's the oh, same it amount really? of thermal, it's the same amount of thermal resistance you know in theory in a steady right. state world it's not a real world though in the real world we make mistakes uh, there are complications yeah. and there are certain issues that we need to consider so the simplest and the one that you can roll out with fewer intended unintended consequences and you can kind of go to whatever thermal performance you want you can make this insulation as, almost as thick as you want is external and i like thought that would be the answer yeah absolutely it, you know yeah. however that's not an option 
lots of homes are never going to be able to have external wall insulation, all these beautiful architecture we have oh, in the UK. You, you just say to anyone in grade two listed home, you're going to have to Well, even it. just a nice village. Yes, know, they're not going of to want course. It, let alone conservation areas, all of that. Yeah. So internal is a real option. It's, right. it's higher risk if done without due care and attention. Mm. Now, building regs doesn't have, uh, is agnostic to whether you put it on the outside or the inside, but risk profiles are not. They very much care. So if you're making your home, if you're insulating your home and you put it on the inside, that means that you've made the bricks cold. If you think about it, your radiators are inside, your heating's yes. inside. You, you warm up your bricks from inside to outside, not from outside to inside, apart from when it's sunny. As soon as you put the insulation, and if you put the insulation on the outside, you keep everything nice and warm. All your bricks are nice and warm. Put the insulation on the inside, which is what a lot of us would have to do. You've stopped your bricks from getting warm or your stone, whatever it's made of. As soon as you start making the building fabric cold in certain areas, you're going to get moisture problems. And so, so that this is a real issue. We've looked into this. We've explored what happens if you leave discontinuities in the insulation. What happens if you if you go too thick with your insulation is the interstitial condensation. So one of the outcomes, you know, and to de-risk, you know, this is one of the project's aims is to try and de-risk retrofits that are going on in people's homes. Because um, goodness, we don't want that to be another barrier. We've got no, enough barriers absolutely. for doing it. So we want these to be nice and safe. You know, so we're looking at things like internal wall insulation being thinner than external wall insulation, not because it doesn't work as well or, or because it doesn't need it, but just because if you can, you want to be able to balance the risk versus the benefit. No, we reckon you could have almost none of the risk, but 80% of the benefit if you just went a little bit thinner. Building regs doesn't consider that. It's an education piece that we're going to have to do with building control officers, try and get government to buy into it, all that sort of stuff. So changes can happen. We can de-risk retrofits. We can make them uh, more effective. It just takes time. But we're hoping that our research is going to move that journey on a bit. Before we end, let's talk about your practical experience, as you just said there, what did the people who did the fitting find and what did the people who owned the houses say to you, if you can give us an idea? Did, yeah. they, did they notice the difference? Because that, that's the crux of this, right? I've always said net zero, 1.5 degrees, all of that. These are all things that we don't understand. We can't manifest in our brain. We can understand, as I covered on the, the podcast a couple of weeks ago, air pollution. You can smell it, right? We all remembered what happened, what happened during COVID when suddenly, oh my God, there are ducks and there's birds and you can see all of that. You know when your house is cold. You know when you're feeling warm and yeah. temperatures and the, the, the thermostat's still down and not high. What did the people say who, who fitted it and what did the people say who were in these houses that you tried it out on? Yeah, no, that, that's a really good question. Again, because the, the, those tangibles those non-financial yeah. benefits are the things that we need to be singing about um, because they are so there are so many of them so installers often you know really excited to try new stuff um but but risk averse of you know, course and, and uh, you know and, and, i don't want to mess not, that up mate <laughs> yeah and, and i think there's a you know there's a real tendency as you you know as as mm. as you can imagine to stick to what you know well, we never used to do it like that, you know, and, and, that, and that's fair. And that, that's because it's it's tried and tested. And so there's always going to be a bit of a, a, a challenge to reticence. Any, should we say yeah, well, new, any new innovations? <laughs> you know, having said that, a lot of the, a lot of the tried and traditional approaches to stuff were the things that work. And so there's a bit of a two way learning. There. Yeah, so new new innovations need to if you're designing a new innovation, 
and you blame the installer for putting it in wrong. You've, you've, your design was wrong. Correct. You've, yeah. you've built, you've yeah. created a product that can't be installed properly, you know, so there's a bit of a two way there, but generally encouraging people in the home. We find. Yes. The most important. Really interesting. So we work with a lot with social landlords. So we kind of have a, sometimes have a little bit of a skewed market. Yeah, if you're looking at yeah. it like that, you know, so we'll have homes that aren't heated at all. They have heating, but they're not used. So we, we're looking at that kind of level of fuel poverty where they're choosing to not heat their homes. And Which is actually the most important. If we can't take everyone with us, what's the point? Exactly. And so it is a really powerful yeah. message on the broader principle of we should be helping these people because we, we do observe huge improvements in living conditions post you know, post retrofits in some of these homes. But it's also good for motivating people who can do something about it to act. So one of the biggest motivators we think is going to happen and we've seen it in anecdotal um, bits and pieces here and there is when you insulate your home you're going to actually make it less likely to overheat and we can we don't like it being cold but we can turn the heating on we can put on more clothes no you can't do much without it you're absolutely right yeah when your house is hot people oh. hate it when their yes. house is hot and it's a real motivator you know so you know there are more stable conditions it's warmer in winter, it's cooler in summer. There's, you know, a, you know, hopefully you've got better ventilation. Part and part and parcel of any, you know, there is this saying, no insulation without ventilation. Yeah, take on the old slogan. But it's it's hugely important that you're improving the air quality in homes as well. We spend most of our times in homes. And so what I, th I think what we've asked when we've talked to people about would you buy these things who haven't experienced, you know, things like heat pumps, but also insulation, their, their feedback is often, I need to see it. You know, I need to see someone in the street who's already got it yeah. and like, go and experience it. And it's a little bit like the Teslas when they first came out. A marketing campaign was park yeah. your Tesla on your, park, on your driveway. Yeah. The first person that gets it is a weirdo. When three or four have got it, you know, you, you want to be involved yeah. as well. Yeah. And one of the problems we have is insulation is invisible. You know, heat pumps are visible, but perhaps that's not a good thing. But insulation <laughs> is invisible. So it's really tricky to kind of get that, generate some kind of, you know, activity around understanding well that house has been insulated over there that's the thing though it's about you know the whole point of net zero and is there anything uh, on any of the websites the university has or the research sites that people can start to understand a bit more about what, what what's yeah, going on with sure heating? it's not going to be too heavy there's going to be a summary report remember yeah. it has to be read and understood by ministers say that. <laughs> there so we we're go constantly <laughs> we're constantly putting effort in to make the the messages clear translatable and accessible so um coming out in the next month i hope will be the demonstration for energy efficiency potential and that's on the Leeds, is there a website for the Leeds Sustainability? That's, yeah, be, be, be linked to the Department for Energy website. So right. Department for Energy have already got several of our website, uh, several of our projects on their website. So if you, if you typed into uh, a searcher engine, Department for Energy, Security and Net Zero, yeah. uh, Leeds Beckett, then you will you will be taken to a page where there's a few, few things that we've reported. Or if you just typed in Leeds Sustainability Institute, or at least Beckett University, navigate to our page. There's a, there's a list of our three research themes that we talked about in the beginning of the talk. Um, and under each theme, you can check and click on all of our different research projects that we've undertaken over the last 20 odd years. Brilliant. I think you're doing some great work. And I think also it is one of the topics that I've wanted to cover. I'm sure we'll come back to it again because it's one of the major ones. David, thanks so much for joining us on the Net Hero podcast. Really enjoyed talking to you. Pleasure.
Thank you. If you have been interested in what we've been talking about, let us know. Get in touch on social media. If you are facing a heat decarbonisation challenge for your business or organisation, then drop us a line. And if you want to be on the Net Hero podcast, get in touch. I'll see you very soon. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to net zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.